Welcome to The Conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and your patients. November is Diabetes Awareness Month, and we have chosen to have a weekly four-part discussion on this topic. In this episode, the conversation is about diabetes and the effects COVID has had on the physical, mental, and emotional health of a diabetic. Quality Improvement Specialist Kathy Ray leads a conversation with Mary DeGroot, Associate Professor of Medicine and Acting Director of the Diabetes Translation Research Center at Indiana University. Now, let's get this conversation started. We're welcoming back uh, Dr. Mary DeGroote to the table to wrap us up in our conversation about diabetes. And uh, we're just very, very thankful to have her back and talk a little bit more, uh, this time about COVID and the impact that COVID has had on our population uh, struggling with diabetes during these times. So Mary, we'll give the floor back to you. Great. Well, thank you so much, Kathy, again, for the okay. opportunity to talk with you about um, so, so many topics related to diabetes and the psychosocial landscape of diabetes. Um, as we all know all too well, we have all been dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it's truly been a worldwide event and has been ongoing now. Uh, this is the beginning of June of 2021. And so we've been at this for at least 15 months uh, here in Indiana and in the US. Um, and we know that uh, COVID-19 as um, a new uh, virus has posed a considerable th uh, threat to health and safety for everyone. Um, people with diabetes, people without diabetes, we've all been at risk. Um, for this very bad bug, um, as I like to refer to it. Um, and we also know that it has not been, um, while everyone has had an equal opportunity to be exposed to COVID-19 and to uh, acquire COVID-19, um, and how important um, all of the steps we have taken have been to reduce our risk of developing, uh, of, of getting COVID-19. Uh, whether that's mask wearing, whether that's quarantining when we were shut down, whether that's social distancing, um, hand washing and sanitizer, all of those things, very important to reducing our risk of getting uh, COVID-19 for everyone. Um, but we also know that, um, that if for people with diabetes who have, uh, who have been exposed to COVID-19, who get it, um, that this is a particularly bad bug. Um, and so those effects for people with diabetes of COVID-19, once they get it, um, are both physical and emotional. Um, and so this, is, this has been a particularly um, difficult experience for people with diabetes because the outcomes of COVID-19 um, are quite uncertain for people with diabetes and can be very severe, um, resulting potentially in mortality. So um, it makes a lot of sense that people have been very concerned about COVID-19 generally and for people with diabetes to be concerned about their risk of acquiring COVID-19. Um, and, and then their concerns about what will happen to me if I do get it. Um, so we have been learning a lot about this virus um, over the last 15 months, uh, almost a year and a half now. 
Um, and one of the things that we've learned for people with diabetes is that um, A1C um, going into COVID-19 appears to be an important predictor for how you come out of COVID-19 or your experience of the infection itself. Uh, so a number of studies now worldwide uh, conducted in China, in Spain, and other parts of the, of the country have noted that people who have A1C values who are closer to their target range in the mid sevens and below, for example, um, when they get COVID-19, they uh, tend to have better outcomes um, in terms of less severity of illness, less inflammatory responses, um, better healing and shorter recovery time than people whose A1Cs are much higher. Um, and so I think this is a really important takeaway, first of all, um, that it reinforces for us something that all of us who are connected to diabetes have known for a long time, which is A1C matters. Um, it is not a report card on how we manage our diabetes, but it does matter um, in terms of how affected our body is in coping with diabetes. And then if we add something on top of it, like COVID-19, um, that just pre presents the body with even more challenges so, and more of an inflammatory process. So um, when we take care of our blood sugars on a day-to-day -day basis and an hour-by-hour -hour basis, and that has positive effects on our A1C, we're taking good steps to help give ourselves the best possible outcome if we are exposed to COVID-19 and we are infected by it. So that's a really important piece. And I think it can be empowering for people with diabetes to know that there is something that we can do. And that is if we tune up our blood sugars, we can protect ourselves from the worst possible outcomes. Um, so that's an important piece. Another piece I think about is um, the psychosocial landscape of living uh, with diabetes in the time of COVID-19. Um, and we, I think we're all intimately connected to many of these different kinds of feelings. Um, certainly there has been isolation. We have physical isolation in ways that all of us alive at this point in history have never experienced before. Um, we've, been, we've been literally isolated um, from our loved ones, from our family, from our friends, from our routines, from all of the things that marked our day-to-day -day and week-to-week and month-to-month -month and season-to-season -season, uh, rituals and uh, routines. We've also had increased feelings of vulnerability. Um, basic trust in our safety has been questioned and threatened because of the pandemic. Um, I can remember early on uh, here in Indiana going to the grocery store because I had to <laughs> and um, and wearing my mask and and, you know, using hand sanitizer liberally and wanting to say, you know, just have that stranger acknowledgement of somebody I'm passing in the aisle of the grocery store and not being able to have them see my smile, right, underneath my mask because it wasn't evident. Um, but also, neither one of us knew if either one of us was safe. Um, and that was a really new experience. And that involves a lot of feelings of vulnerability. There's also been tremendous feelings of loss, right? There's so many things that we've had to delay doing that we couldn't do, that we've lost opportunities. Um, holidays and gatherings and ways that we've had to adapt and change and uh, go without a lot of basic fundamental experiences. 
Uh, for many people, that's been um, the arts. We've we've missed being able to attend live music or see the arts or go to plays or any of the kinds of things that we enjoy, even fundamental things like spending time, you know, with with a friend. So we've had many experiences of loss. We've not surprisingly, we've had increased rates of depression. We've had increased rates of diabetes distress. And, um, and also for many people with diabetes, worry about diabetes um, related supplies and their av availability. Will I be able to get the tools I need to manage my blood sugars, my sensors, my test strips, my, my insulin, my other medications in a timely way uh, when supply chains uh, seem to be um, at risk of being threatened. So mindful of all of these experiences, um, both you know, at the personal, family, community, statewide and national levels and global levels, um, my team and I uh, put together a study that we've been conducting over the past 12 months. We began this study in May of 2020 uh, to better understand what the emotional landscape um, truly looks like for people with and without diabetes. And so we, uh, we sent out a web-based survey. So this was limited to people who had access to uh, a computer and to internet service. So it is skewed in that way. Um, and so not necessarily representative of everyone's experience. Um, but we did want to be able to connect with people even in this limited way through, through the internet um, to have a better understanding of what that what this COVID-19 pandemic experience has been like for people from an emotional standpoint. We have a sample of 2,200 people who responded from literally all over the country, including many people who responded from Indiana. So we wanna say thank you to everyone who has participated in our study over the past 12 months. And we, uh, we were uh, a presence in their inbox, in their email inbox every month. So people who participated were invited to participate in our surveys that changed from month to month, um, every month for 12 months. And so we were just delighted with the response that we've received. And so there's many things that we've learned um, from the data that we've collected so far. Um, we have looked to date at our baseline data and then some at our six month data. So this was data that we collected in May and June of 2020, and then in November and December of 2020 to compare. Um, and one of the things we learned was that the COVID experience was not the same for everyone. Uh, we know that communities of color and particularly in our sample, uh, people of Asian heritage, American Indians, um, and folks with uh, multiple diverse ethnic backgrounds, uh, struggled more. They struggled more in terms of emotions, but also in terms of financial worry. We also know that younger people with diabetes struggled more, um, that they were unaccustomed to having so much of their world change um, and didn't necessarily have sources of income that uh, could be resilient in the context of the economic fluctuations that we've experienced, both statewide and also nationally. Um, so we're very mindful that, um, that this COVID-19 experience is not the same for everyone um, and that that has implications for us down the road. Work that Samantha Brooks and colleagues have done looking at the emotional impact of epidemics. Um, we don't have any, we're only getting data now on a pandemic because the last one was in 1918. 
but um, uh, from other epidemics that have happened over the course of uh, the last 100 years, we know that um, the mood effects of the depression, anxiety, um, some, some lingering trauma symptoms that can occur for some people, those can last not only during the time of quarantine, but upwards to two to three years after the end of quarantine. So we're mindful that this, was not, this has not only been an effect that has affected us in real time during this COVID-19 pandemic, but that for some people, maybe upwards to 20 to 30% of people, this will have an enduring effect for them for some time. So um, another takeaway from our study findings so far, and we'll be presenting this data to the American Diabetes Association uh, uh, scientific sessions uh, a little bit later this month, is that um, it appears that at baseline, when people had higher levels of stress um, and they were in a position of living alone, they were unpartnered, divorced, separated, or single, um, that both of those factors um, had uh, an impact on levels of diabetes distress as well as symptoms of depression six months later. So this makes sense to us, right? If we're more stressed and we don't have others to help us buffer that stress and help us build on our resilience, um, it, makes, uh, it makes it harder uh, for us to move through um, this kind of difficult time. So um, with, with that, some of the takeaways that we've, our team has come to in terms of strategies uh, for managing as we move forward. Um, I think about this in two categories, strategies for patients and strategies for providers. Um, for patients, uh, we are now in the process of reopening, um, which is very exciting, I think, but also can come with a fair amount of anxiety uh, because things are changing again. And because we've that those feelings of vulnerability and those fundamental questions about safety have been raised for so long, um, we may feel really cautious, uh, maybe cautiously optimistic, but still cautious about re-entry. So I think it's really important just to validate that, to know that that's part of the landscape right now, part of the emotional landscape, and that the way to manage that is to test the waters. Um, this is what we do when we're children and, and even as adults, we test the waters. Is it safe? How does this new experience feel? If I go to the grocery store and I'm not required to wear my mask in the future, right? How is that going to feel? Maybe I want to hold on to my mask for a while until that feels safe for me. And that's okay. Um, everyone is going to move through this time a little differently. And we want to just check in with ourselves. How does this feel now? And how can I make this feel safe for myself as I re-engage with some of my activities? Uh, we can reach out to family, friends, and healthcare providers if we are struggling with mood, depression, diabetes, distress, um, or isolation. Um, with with re-entry, we have more ways of reaching out now, and that's the really good news. Um, and so um, just for people to know that there's no stigma, it is not a moral failing. Um, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling alone, that's, that's part of the human condition. It's okay to feel that way and it's okay to reach out to, to make that feeling better. And then finally for providers, um, I really encourage all of my provider colleagues to be sensitive to our patients' feelings and needs um, through this pandemic experience. 
Um, the pandemic experience has not been the same for everyone. Um, and as providers, we know that ourselves too. We have been overwhelmed by changes in how we've provided care, how we've needed to adapt, how we've been in some cases frontline workers, right? We know what that's been like, the impact on ourselves, the impact on our families and our communities. Um, so it's really important that even, even as we are in this re period of re-entry, um, that we're sensitive to what has this journey been like for our individual patients with diabetes? What have been some of the fears and worries that they've been living with? What are some of the impacts on their mood now? And um, how can we connect people to the resources that they may need to help them work through that? Um, and so the more steps we can take as healthcare providers to connect our patients, to give warm handoffs where, where possible, um, to, to behavioral health providers, uh, to support groups, to uh, peer support online, uh, the more we can do along those lines, the better off our patients will be, both in terms of their mental health and also in terms of their diabetes self-management and medical outcomes. Well, I think that's a wonderful segue into the fact that, you know, having you on these podcasts and being able to dive into, you know, some of the details and take it out to our coalitions across the state um, and use this as an educational platform, you know, absolutely, we want to we want to thank you, Mary, for all of your information <clears throat> that you've shared. My and um, if any of our listeners have missed um, any of the podcast, feel free to uh, check us out on our website, www.qsource.org. Uh, look for the tab resources and click on that and you will find all of Mary's uh, podcast series available. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at qsource.org slash conversation podcast. The conversation was produced by QSource, the Quality Innovation Network Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana, under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Content does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.